I heard something really cool in a book recently. I read it. Uh, that's not hearing it. I read it, and I ingested it into my brain, and it was this, this quote, an ounce of faith is better than a ton of excitement. An ounce of faith is better than a ton of exi- excitement. doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but I just wanted you to know that. Okay, cool. So moving on. Um, oh, i got to make sure my iPhone's off. Guys, i got an iPhone. Does anybody have an iPhone? You can admit it. Anybody? I'm just saying, because in the beginning, I had this little red Nokia. It was a cell phone. It was a cool thing. You could keep it in a sock. You couldn't use it too much because it was so expensive. But every once in a while, if there was an emergency, you could bring it out. And then after that, the Nokia kind of went out of style, and I got a really cool, really hip flip phone. Anybody ever have one of those? That is so cool. Be like, just a minute. That's so cool. 19, like 90. Nine? I don't know. So you get your flip phone. And then later it was cooler, so I upgraded and got the little one with a keypad. Anybody? Larry, you have that too? No. There, yeah. See, so I got that one. And then after that, <laughs> the, the keypad started getting on my nerves because so, I was like, man, I can just I can't swipe. And I wanted to swipe, so I got a Galaxy. So then I'm swiping all over the place. And then I was like, I'm tired of my Samsung Galaxy because it keeps dying on me. And actually the batteries were kind of puffing up. They started to, like, fill with, I don't know, fluid or air or whatever kind of mysterious battery thing. And they'd get big, which is probably dangerous. And so uh, then I was like, man, I just want an iPhone. So I got an iPhone. And I wondered, what is it about me that makes me want the newest, the most efficient, the best, the shiniest, the most expensive um, thing that you can get? What is it about me? I want it to be efficient. I want it to work. This thing knows where I am on the earth and it can tell me how not to get lost. It can, I can check. I have an app. If my kid is bad at school, it alerts me. It tells me what percentage he's been bad all week. Um, don't worry. He's never bad. Um, it tells me, Oh, I can buy movie tickets. I can check my, uh, how much money I have in the bank, all these things, guys, I can check on Facebook things. I don't care about. I can Instagram, I can tweet and I like it cause it's efficient and it's, it's successful, as it were. This phone is successful. And sometimes I think we think like that about ministry. We want it to be efficient. We want it to look good. We want it to be successful. We want to be successful in the eyes of God. We want to be um, the iPhone wielded in the hand of God that he says, Oh, man, Lori, you're kicking it now. You, you, look at all this battery you got, Lori. You're just doing all these things and getting all this done. We want to be like that to God. We want to be useful. We want to be wanted. I kind of think of God like a uh, consumer in the halls of humanity, in the aisles of humanity, and he's scoping out what he wants. He's in this big, big world, and he's going, Hmm, what particular item do I want do I want to own for my own to do a particular focused thing? And he's scanning humanity, looking for that person, that individual that's going to do that one thing that he has in mind. And the weird thing about God is he knows the phone he's buying is defective. He knows it's already broken. He knows it doesn't have a warranty. He knows it's crapola. Um, he knows it's a scam and he's going to spend everything to buy it. Right? So what makes us, you and I, something he wants to choose? What is it about us that would even make us attractive to God? He doesn't need us. He's God. He doesn't need to include us. He doesn't need to use us. So what makes us attractive to him? 
Um, one person that we know that God chose to fulfill a very specified role was Simon Peter. Later, his name gets changed by God, and he goes by just Peter. And most of us know him as Peter because of most of Paul's writing. So I'm going to refer to him as Peter and because of the story instead of calling him Simon Peter. We're continuing in our study of Jesus as told in the book of Luke, Luke 5, 1 through 11. I'm going to be reading the NIV version. Check it out. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sat at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He, this is Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is Peter we're talking about, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down in the boat and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, rolling his eyes probably. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. All right, if you'd pray for me before I begin. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that if you want to add anything not in my notes, you prompt it. And if you want to take anything away, you prompt it too. God, you are so good. Please be glorified. Amen. So Peter is hanging out here after a long, long night of doing his job. Anybody work nights? I know one guy. No, if you got, oh man, raise your hands again. You work nights? Right, you're tapped out. Early morning comes, the glaring sun. All these people want to hear the teacher, Jesus. Do you feel like sticking around? No, it's you've worked. You've already worked. You're clocking out. You're going to go home, right? You stink. Time to go rest. Um, but here's Jesus, and he's a great teacher. He's a great teacher. Some have seen his miracles. Some have not. And he wants to use the boat as a pulpit. I love this. This is so scum. This is so creative. It's so weird. It reminds me of when you go to a concert and they have that big leprosy barrier, you know, that big gap so that there's no crowd surfing. He puts himself in the water so he's at a distance edge from the crowd. And from inside the boat, he's got a good vantage point. He can preach to people. Can't touch him. Can't crowd surf. Can't rush the stage. Probably actually can't even ask to be healed at this point or just touch him and get healed. So he's kind of in control and he's preaching. And Peter, who's just gotten off work, long long nights fishing, and hadn't caught a thing. How would you like working all night and coming home with zero dollars? That would be a bummer. That'd be a bummer. So he'd been working all night, caught no fish, and he's willing. Jesus is this great teacher. He's going to let him use his boat as a pulpit. But then something happens. Jesus wants to inconvenience him a little bit more. He wants to go fishing. Peter is not convinced. Peter knows that there's not fish. He's tapped out the waters. He's clocking out. He doesn't want to fish, but he's willing to be inconvenienced. Are you guys willing to be inconvenienced for God? 
Am I willing to be inconvenienced for God? What a weird word, inconvenience. Yes, I'm a Christian, of course, WWJD. I will so be inconvenienced. I'll follow God's to the end of the earth. But if you want me to take shorter showers because of the environment, because I love the Lord, or if you want me to stop using my car as much, or if you want me to hang out with a friend who's really distraught and talks a lot about her life and doesn't listen to me ever, those little inconvenient things, those things that we deem almost annoying, that's where we see our spiritual maturity. If we're annoyed because of something God is calling us to, it's a good mirror of our spiritual maturity. The inconveniences are really where it's at. Sometimes it's the hard, big things, you know. A lot of people want to be pastors. A lot of people want to be worship leaders, missionaries, do the big things. But if we can't do the little things, it's a difficult challenge. But Peter wants to be inconvenienced by God. He's willing to do it. He's willing to do it. I think of a friend of mine. His name's Dennis. I met him when I joined Five Iron Frenzy. In fact, I didn't want him to be in the band. If you've ever met Dennis, good-looking, yuppie guy. He's tall, six foot two, slender. Looks like all the bad guys in all the 80s movies. You know, those guys, that, especially the karate kid, that kind of guy. Looks totally like Sweep the Lake Johnny. Exactly. And when he joined our band... I had a, a mohawk and my nose rings, and I was like, no, he can't join the band. He's not punk. He's not cool. He will ruin it. And he wants to rewrite all of my horn lines. Um, and so we had this meeting in 1997 where we all got in a circle, and we prayed. We were a Christian band, and we decided, are we going to quit our jobs? Are we going to quit college? Are we going to quit everything to tour full-time and spread the word of the Lord to everybody um, and live in a school bus? And a lot of us didn't have a lot to lose. For instance, me, wow, I was going to defer my freshman year at CCU. Big honking deal. That is an awesome blessing. So I was going to do that, take a break from CCU. Um, I was going to quit Baskin-Robbins. Oh, no. <laughs> I was my college job for a while. And I think I was doing telemarketing. But Dennis had a, had a degree from DU. And Dennis had a mortgage on a nice, cute brick bungalow over there on Grant Street. Nice house with a bunch of bedrooms. And Dennis had a manager position at the brand-new, huge Weston Hotel, where he had even seen the likes of Jerry Lewis and served him. So all this, for us, was not a big deal. But for Dennis to quit his career and all that stuff um, in the midst of when things were going good was a big inconvenience. And he did it. He did it. He left his house to live in a school bus. He left his career to tell about Jesus. And in fact, he let all of us move into his house and make it the band house. So he was super willing, just like Peter, to be inconvenienced for, uh, for Christ. And I think he was blessed by it. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. When they had done so, when they went fishing, when they finally did it, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I think at this point when the miracle happens, Peter recognizes Jesus is not just a teacher, he is God. Now he's like, oh, wow. This is a carpenter's son who doesn't know anything about fishing, and he's telling us what to do. This is God. I'm having an encounter with God. Um, you and I don't know what that's like because we haven't met Jesus. We've met him in a spiritual way, but we don't know what it's like to see a man, Jesus, and then suddenly be convinced that he is man and God. So that must have blown his mind. And the reaction he has 
which is very appropriate and probably one a lot of us would have, is I am sinful. I don't know if any of you have ever had those moments where uh, God allows you to see the color of your soul. But for this moment, God is allowing Peter to see inside his soul. And Peter feels so scummy that he doesn't want to be near Jesus. It's not the kind of, we're not worthy, like a Wayne and Garth kind of, oh, Jesus, you're so awesome. It's not that. It's like brutal, disgusting, wanting to die, see the color of your soul. Um, I have experienced this. One time my mom came to a show in a, I think it was a silk pantsuit. Do you remember pantsuits? They have pants and then elastic here and then like a blouse, but it is attached and some high heels, some peep-toed high heels. And she was coming to my show and I saw her coming and I was super embarrassed. I was just like, no, it's not what you wear to a show, jeans and t-shirts. Um, and she was super happy. She's like, I'm at your show. And I'm like, mom. And then afterwards I went up to her and was like, you don't wear that to a show. It's very seventies. Um, and her face kind of looked crestfallen. She's like, I just got off work and drove out here to come to your show. And I put it back in somewhere in my brain and somewhere in my heart where, you know, thousands of things a day I do that are crappy, that are sinful, that are horrible. Just went on with life. And I didn't feel it then and I didn't repent for it then. But months later, I'm sitting on an airplane and I'm looking and I see the clouds and they're gorgeous and they're glorious. And God, let me see the color of my soul. And he's like, that sucked. That was brutal, Be- <laughs> brutal. That's not beautiful. That was br- that's a scum word. That was brutal. That's ugly. You shouldn't act like that towards your mom. That's your best, best fan. That's your biggest ally. That's your mom. Um, and for just a split second, just tiny, because I probably would want to just die worse, he let me feel that. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, but if he does let you feel that, he doesn't let you feel that long. That is so gracious of God that even the moments where we're being repentant, even the moments where we're on our knees, even the moments where Jesus is graciously being a mirror in front of us, whether it's in a sermon or a song or something we did crappy to someone or maybe they had to call us out, um, that is a gracious thing because he's allowing us to grow. He's saying to us, I don't want you to stay there. It's going to hurt. It's going to be brutal, but I don't want you to stay there. Um, And so Peter is seeing this. Who knows what he saw? Who knows what he remembered, but Peter has seen inside his soul and it's ugly and he just wants to repent and he humbles himself and says at the depths of myself, I'm a sinful man. At SCUM, we have a line in our uh, mission statement and it reads, we recognize our need for a savior and we humbly repent. They go together. Recognition of our need of a savior causes repentance, causes humble repentance. Hopefully, hopefully it causes humble repentance. And I think it does. I think when you really know Jesus, when you really know God, not the facade, not the idea, not the legalistic be good stuff. When you really know God and recognize what Christ did for us, that causes a humble repentance. But not just that, it causes us to have a devotion. One of the things and one of the reasons that I think that uh, God called Peter was because he was willing, yeah, and he was humble, yeah, but also he was committed. He was committed to see it through. This one's kind of the hardest one for me because in our lives and in my life particularly, things ebb and flow. I don't know if you know any people that would say, um, I'm not a Christian anymore. Someone who would say, I was a Christian and I believed in Jesus, but I don't anymore anymore. 
that is gnarly. That is, that is reality, though. Life, some people, you know, that's the choice that they make, and they go through that, and they do a process of that. I went through a process of that. Some people go on a long process of that. Some people don't ever come back from a process of that. But that's part of the life we live in and the world we live in. Um, and Peter is committed to this calling, and we know that in part because we have the Bible, we have the whole story, and we can jump ahead and know, and we know that he was martyred. He was martyred for his beliefs. Um, but for me in my life, I think, would I, would I have the balls to be martyred for, for Jesus? I'd like to think so. I have a vision of this old, old woman. Her name's Yoda. That's not her name. Her name's not Yoda, but we call her Yoda because uh, she's just tiny. She's like Yoda-like. She's wise, you know, like a tiny little Yoda. Um, and she only speaks Spanish, and she reads her Spanish Bible. And I remember seeing her, and she just meditate on her Spanish Bible. And she wasn't much good to society at that point. She lived with her great-great-grandkids, uh, and she kind of made more messes than anything. But I remember being like, man, Yoda is in love with Jesus. And if I can get from point A, and this is my prayer, if I can get from point A to point B, Yoda, without screwing it up, without out of fear, jumping off the bandwagon, I would be so stoked. And I asked the Lord, what is that thread going to be? How can Jesus tie a thread through my life, through my heart, and connect all of the me's of me so that I can make it? What's it going to look like, right, to keep me devoted? Um, Part of the thing about being devoted is that you have to have a spiritual imagination, for, for one thing, that things will get better, that inconvenience and that expectations aren't the top. What you expect I have a little saying, which is God always seems to give me what I never knew to hope for. Constantly. Scum is one of those things. My husband's one of those things. I always seem to get what I never knew to hope for. It's not, I, don't even, I don't even ask for things, no offense, but just because he gives me something better every time. So I don't really go that route. Um, I like to think of my spiritual gift as loyalty. I've been here at Scum a long, long, long time, and I think it's just because I don't have anything better to do. I don't think it's that cool. <laughs> A lot of people go and have different things happen, and I'm like, still here, still here, still here. Guys, people have come and left in the past 14 years. I'm still here. I never left. Me and Mike sticking around. Even Dava got out for like five years. I've never left. I think that's okay. I think it's cool. I think it's weird, and I kind of almost feel maternal about it. Like, oh, if you guys want to leave, I'll be here in 20 years. I'll be here. I probably will be here. Um, Yeah, I just, I'm going to be here. And that's part of my threads, too, is that, and the thing that happened with Peter is that when God called Peter, he didn't call him to be alone. He didn't say, man, I wish, really wish I could have a disciple. <laughs> what if he had a disciple? What a bummer. Like, okay, and then that guy dies in the end. Um, but he picked a lot of guys. Like, he had a team, and he made them for a team. And that's how I feel about life, too. That's probably the biggest inconvenience. When we talk about being willing to be inconvenienced, are you willing to be inconvenienced because you're part of a team? Because you're called to a body of brothers and sisters. And you know how brothers and sisters kind of tossle around and fight and bicker, right? That's part of it. Um, and it makes me feel good knowing that I am part. I mean, look around. Take a minute. Just go ahead and turn your head around. Look around. This is your body. These are people you get to do this life with for some reason. We're not in the Renaissance. We're not in the 70s. We're not in another time. These are the people God chose at this time. Now hear these people to accomplish what he wants, even though we're all defective, right? Maybe right now in your life, you are camping on the defective thing. Maybe 
you feel that you are a defective product to God. Well, there were times when I did a lot of things for the Lord. There were times when I would ask people to come to church, and they would in the 90s. There were times, even me personally, that I brought people to the Lord. A couple aunts of mine when I was a child, a couple other people in the 90s. You know, maybe you could look back at the glory days and think, wow, I was effective. I was efficient. I was successful. I knew my scripture really good. I, I, you know, I wasn't addicted to this or struggling with this or hiding behind this or legalistic with this. Um, But life ebbs and flows and we can get really short sighted. I know that I can. I know I can. Um, Times I feel like I'm screwing up this whole thing, this whole Christian life. But the two things that screw me up the most are so stupid, really stupid, mood and fear. Mood, the thing that happens with me is I wake up ready to conquer the world. Every morning I'm just, you would hate me. Every morning I'm like, hi, let's do it. Let's kill. This is going to be awesome. Every, it's like every annoying Facebook status, like happy, really good outlook, going to kill it. But then at night... I'm looking at my list and I'm like, only 32 things got crossed off the list. I'm pissed. Today sucked. Couldn't get it all done. Or whatever, the expectation of exactly how I thought something was going to happen didn't happen. Now I'm mad at my husband or something like that. So mood, mood can be a big, uh, it's, a, it's a faith killer. It's a faith killer. Um, and also fear. I really think that that fear causes us to sin. If we don't believe that God is going to come through in the way he says he's going to come through, we take it into our hands and we sin. He is not going to give me a husband that I want, a Christian husband, so why don't I settle? I have too much fear that God's going to do that for me. Or I have too much fear that he's going to give me the job that I want, so I'm just going to lie on my application and see what happens. Or I have too much fear that, you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. So we take it into our own hands, manipulate it a bit, and then feel like crap and feel like defective iPhones. Instead of just being patient and being like, you know what, God, I don't have it all together. I'm so screwed up. I need you. I need to rely on you. Second um, Corinthians five, seven reminds us, therefore, this is Paul writing, um, being always of good courage, courage, being of good courage, good courage, godly courage. And knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by Right. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Man, it takes a lot of imagination and a lot of courage to walk by faith and not by sight, because all we see is struggling and this concept of entropy, which means that the dishes will get dirty every single day. Everything goes from order to disorder, so let's get used to it and just recognize that this is not what we're meant for, right? Thank God. <laughs> um, one of the cool things about my life is that God has blessed me with a husband who is exactly opposite of me. So while I ebb and flow and get moody and moody and moody and moody, he's like this. He even has been, he has the audacity to say to me, how could someone get mad at God? How would you get mad at God? <laughs> What? Yeah, right? A lot of people get mad at God. Is that normal? Am I normal? Yeah, okay, right. But he doesn't get it because he's like, it's just God. Like, it's, it's, he's a rock. He's like this. And that comes back to that quote I said, which is, an ounce of faith is better than a ton of excitement. That's me and Stephen. He lives off of this faith that's just like, that's his spiritual gift. My spiritual gift could be excitement. That's kind of cool. Um, 
But he has a saying that he says a lot, too, that is, this is the choice we've made. This is what we've chosen. And he says it a lot in these weird moments where I'm like, back in the day when we weren't sure if we wanted to go to scum of the earth because we didn't like certain things about it. I was like struggling and he was struggling. And then we're like, but this is what we've chosen. Or times when um, we weren't sure if we were going to go to morning church because we had kids and there wasn't a Sunday school yet. But this is what we've chosen. Or times where I just want to freak out and just do something different. But this is what we've chosen. And it's been actually really cool to breathe and stick with it and be like, no, this is what we've chosen. I, this is the path that I know is going to get me from A to B. This is what we've chosen. And I can feel good about this. And I can go and I can vent to my pastors. I can talk to the women at my Bible study. Um, I can talk to my friends, my mentor. And ultimately, I can vent to the Trinity. I mean, I can vent to God in one way that's different than I vent to the Holy Spirit that's different than I vent to Jesus. And I'll, I'll vent to all of them in a different, very different way. And I really believe that that has helped me to stay grounded, even though I'm going through a really rough time right now. I'll tell you guys, and I told them in the morning, I'm not hearing from God right now. Uh-oh, your pastor should be fired. <laughs> um, one of your pastors. And that's an annoying thing because I'm, you know, I have these roles to fulfill and I don't want to be a fake, but at the same time, I know that I know that I know that I know that I believe I don't doubt anymore. I'm not like a little tree that's hanging by these little things that are keeping me. My roots are good. I'm strong. I'm a big tree. I'm getting waved a bit, but I'm not going anywhere because I know that. But the problem is um, I'm relying on you guys to be the voice of Christ for me right now. I'm relying on you guys and scripture and prayer and all these other things because he used to talk to me directly. And I realize now as I'm mourning that, that that was a gift. That was a really beautiful couple of years. I had a couple of years where I would say I was hearing from the Lord a lot, like hearing from the Lord. And uh, I got really cocky. And at one point I said to someone, I think I'm on cruise control spiritually. I think that the, I got it. I've got it figured out. And I didn't say I got it figured out, but I was like, I think I'm on cruise control. I got this Christian husband. I got these good kids. I got this community scum. I'm good to go. And just like that, it was like a switch went off. And God's like, no. You're not on cruise control. You're running on fumes. You don't got it. And just like that, he changed his view so that I couldn't worship the idol I had made of him. Right? Mike talked about that recently. So anyway, if you are not sure if Jesus wants you because you think you're defective, he wants you. He wants you. And if you're not sure if Jesus still wants you because you used to be effective and you're not effective right now, he still wants you. He still wants you. Um, we're going to do worship now. And we'll have people in the prayer cave also. But if you want to talk to me afterwards, I would love to pray with you too. And please pray for me too, because I don't particularly like this season. Thanks.